Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live via Giants.com. I'm Paul Tatino, along with Super Bowl champion putter Jeff Fiegels. Glad you could join us. Thank you. And we will be talking Giants-related football for the next hour. Uh, we will not be taking phone calls today, but we will continue with our opponent previews. You can reach us on Twitter, at Jay Fiegels or at GiantsWFAN. And, of course, uh, you could always use hashtag GiantsChat. And there was also the Giants mailbag, giants.com slash podcasts slash BBK questions. Mr. Fiegels, the mm. weather is starting to feel a little bit like training camp, isn't it? I wish it was training camp. <laughs> the weather the weather is always going to be constant, right? You're always going to have that. I wish it was. You know, I, I, I've been kind of scouring the, the Internet, looking at some videos of other teams and coaches talking. They're all talking the same. They're all drinking the same Kool-Aid. They're all talking the same thing. Players did great. They reacted great to Zoom meetings. They're just, you know, the the Rams who will be previewing, they're, they're saying that they, they broke their camp, their, their so-called Zoom camp or whatever early. It's because there's nothing else to do. Well, well, you you know, can only do so much, right? Jeff, Jeff, those comments to me are the same as me telling you I was great at Ms. Pac-Man and you were great at Galaxian. <laughs> what exactly Which, does that mean? It means It means nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's right. Now it's time for today's opponent preview, and we'll take a look at the Los Angeles Rams. They're set to play the Giants on October the 4th in Los Angeles. That'll be week four of the NFL season. And we bring in Rams radio analyst and former defensive tackle DeMarco Farr. Well, DeMarco, I think any conversation about the Rams has to start with the fact that Todd Gurley, who has been the face of that franchise for the last few years, is no longer a part of it. How different is the vibe uh, around that ball club these days? You know, it's weird. Uh, you know, Todd has been so much to this organization, so much to this run, so much to Sean McVay, and then, you know, when you when you type in his name, when you Google search his name, the, the Falcons come up. So you're still trying to get used to that, but... Uh, how do you replace a guy like Todd Gurley? I don't know. But last season, uh, it just wasn't the same Todd Gurley. And it seems like he only had a part-time Todd Gurley. So that seems to be the reason why the offense struggled so much. So uh, if you can't have a healthy running back, if you don't have a bell cow back that can carry the load time in and time out, um, you don't have much in the way of offense. So we'll see. I mean, it's going to be weird without Todd around. He, he was a fixture in the locker room. The guys just absolutely loved him. But... You know how this league is. Uh, if you can't go, if you're not 100%, they will move on from you immediately. So that's exactly what happened here. So we'll see if the Rams can get over not having Todd Gurley in that lineup and on the roster. Well, you know, you take you take this Rams team, and obviously they've had a lot of success um, in the years prior. And um, I believe that, you know, the cap situation has hindered them tremendously coming into 2020. Uh, not only Todd Gurley leaving, but Brandon Cook, Dante Fowler, even the kicker, Greg Derline. So a lot of different changes. The roster is going to be completely different um, and not a whole lot of talent there. So what's your expectations for the 2020 season for the Rams this year? Uh, well, you still got Johnny Hecker. I know you like him. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be crushed if they got rid of him. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, he told me about some sort of pot called the banana. He told me oh, to ask yeah. about that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that, uh, I, I never was able, I was not privy to that type of information back when I played because the Australian guys, they all invented these kicks that now these guys do now, but yeah, it's like a boomerang. It's like a boomerang. Yeah. It's a ticket that kind of goes and the returner has no idea which way it's going to spin and they use it to their advantage, so that's the best. Yeah, we, 
Yep. We have an intimate relationship because I'm on the sideline and I constantly have to avoid him when I'm trying to make my way to the field. So the last oh, one sure. Is yeah. Absolutely. But, yeah, I mean, uh, Brandon Cooks, um, you know, he was a guy that when you were getting ready to play against him, I mean, and you see him on film, he, he scared you. He was absolutely dangerous. And then when you saw him playing for you, playing uh, for the Rams, you saw the same stuff. I mean, he's a crisp route runner. Uh, he's got speed to burn. I mean, he can get open versus just about anybody in the league. But uh, I think once the concussion thing started happening with him, uh, it, it kind of slowed him down. And if you ask Sean McVay, I mean, he'll never say it publicly, but, you know, you don't want to put guys in harm's way. I mean, you might not want to call routes that brings guys uh, bring him towards the middle of the field where he can take the big hit. Well, you can't call plays like that. So it's a shame, but... That's just the way the league goes. Guys get hurt, guys get injured, uh, guys have problems with concussion. So moving on from him, I, I think, was a, a fait accompli towards uh, the middle of the season. But I'll tell you this, they have a guy named Josh Reynolds uh, who's been kind of hanging around as their fourth receiver for the last couple of seasons. I think he's ready for prime time. He's had some moments. So if you add him into uh, a, a, a receiver core that has a Robert Woods, Mr. Steady Eddie, who can get open and – is tough as nails. And then a Cooper Cup, who was on the rise, 1,000 yards last season, 134 targets, I believe, and I think he can actually do more for this football team. So if you add him into the mix, uh, I, I don't think you're going to miss Brandon Cooks all that much, to be honest. Well, so maybe the passing game is going to be okay because Jared Goff is still there to deliver the ball. But before I ask you about Goff and, and his continued development, DeMarco, what about the running game? Does Malcolm Brown become the guy who steps up and, and goes to the forefront as the lead back, or will it be more of a backfield by committee? We know that Belichick has done that with the Patriots for a lot of years, and one game's doing it. Well, you know, I, I think this is going to be the new NFL economy for the Rams. And look, when you have to pay your franchise quarterback, things change. I think we know all about that. So I think the way to combat that is you have to go running back by committee when you pay your quarterback so much money. So I think the matchup with the Giants is going to be interesting because of where it's slotted, week four. I think you're going to know by then who the lead back is going to be. You would guess Malcolm Brown would get the first couple of carries in preseason, early in the regular in the regular season, because he's the most experienced guy. Then Daryl Henderson is the guy they love as a backup to Todd Gurley. He's very, very explosive. He just got hurt, hurt the ankle, so that kind of slowed him down. And then they just drafted Cam Akers, a guy Sean McVay loves, a, a Swiss Army knife of a running back that fits the offense. So... I would say a month into the regular season, you're going to know who the starter, who the, I wouldn't say bell cow, but the guy that's going to be the lead back is going to be by then. So Jared Goff is obviously the guy, uh, but behind him it's going to be by committee until that running back, so that one guy steps up and becomes the guy. Well, you asked, you asked about Jared Goff, Paul, so maybe DeMarco can tell us a little bit about what's up with him. Obviously a down year last year. Uh, is it the system? Is it the players? What is it? You know, uh, look, um, Jared Goff is a throwback type quarterback. Uh, he, he's a drop back guy. He's, he's not going to give you much in the way of, uh, using his legs to move the football. Or if you get pressure on him, he's not going to find the escape route more often than not. What he's good at is getting the ball out fast and, and really getting the offense going in an up tempo situation. And Sean McVay knows that. So, uh, you know, we used to give Jared a lot of credit and a lot of heat, uh, for wins and losses. So, I think what you need to do is look at what was going on in front of him, the offensive line. It was in flux. 
the first two seasons under, under McVay was a, a dream. Uh, the same five guys started a majority of the games. Well, in 2019, that all changed. I mean, you were in flux week in and week out, and that really affected Jared Goff. That affected the offense. So, look, Jared Goff going into year five is going to have to understand what he has in front of him. And, you know, dare I say, uh, bring a little Eli Manning into his game plan. If it's not there, chuck it to a safe situation, uh, burn the down. Uh, you know, live to fight another day. Don't force the football. And then when you get under pressure, when you're, when you are cornered, make sure you protect the football and don't turn it over. It was funny. It, well, it was funny to me, but it wasn't funny to, to Sean McVay listening to him, uh, talk about how he's going to coach Jared Goff on holding the football and how sick of, uh, seeing the, the ball come out when Jared got sacked, uh, in, in key situations. He just couldn't stand it. He's going to rep it. He's going to drill it. He's going to practice it. I think you guys went through it with, with your, your quarterback, with Daniel Jones, fumbling the football under pressure. So that's the one thing. You can be sacked in the league, but just don't give up the rock when you do get sacked and you're trapped in the pocket. Well, when you talk about quarterback pressures, you're talking about the tackle spots. And Andrew Whitworth, 14 years in the league. I guess there was some doubt, at least around the league, as to whether or not he would keep going. But, in fact, he is back again, DeMarco. How much does he have left? Can he give Jared Goff the protection that he needs to succeed? Well, in today's NFL, look, you can play a long time. I saw Jackie Slater do it in the old school NFL when they beat you up on Wednesdays and Thursdays. But this is different. Uh, The Rams have a a great plan of attack when it comes to practicing and keeping guys healthy. And that's definitely benefited Andrew Whitworth. And I'll tell you this, man. When you see this guy work out, when you see him in the gym, when you see him walk by, you have no idea he spent 14 years in the league. He looks like he's 25 years old. Very athletic, takes care of it, he gets it, and he's invested in himself. So when he decided to come back, that was great. I bet Jared Goff is the happiest guy in, in Los Angeles, possibly <laughs> on the planet. Uh, he just doesn't give up sacks. Uh, he may give, give up pressures here and, there, here and there. He may get overpowered because he's not the biggest guy. But the guy is just a confident pro, and he helps the four guys directly to his right. So having him back is going to be huge for this old line, and it's going to be huge for Jared Goff. Hey, real quickly, to stay on the offensive side of the football, the Rams, they drafted a rookie, uh, Van Jefferson. Um, tell me a little bit about him. I know we know a little bit about him covering the draft this year, and you know, quite an interesting guy, and I think he's going to do well for them. Uh, what's that race car driver, Formula One guy, Lewis Hamilton? And I've heard him describe this way, his driving style. It's like he's the car is on rails. Uh, the way he just takes corners and he doesn't break speed and it's just amazing. That's why he's at the top of his sport. Well, I can say that he runs routes the same way. When you watch him on tape, it looks like he is absolutely on rails. You don't know where he's going until he's there already. So, that's the type of guy that Sean McVay covets in this offense. And he'll always talk to you about it. He thinks football is more about what happens above the net than below it. So it's not about being a burner. It's not about being a, a leaper. It's about a guy knowing when and how to get open, kind of like a Cooper Cup. So if you can add a Cooper Cup, another Cooper Cup to the, to the offense, it's just going to make Jared Goff that much better and this offense more dangerous. When we address the defense, DeMarco, let me just speak in generalities for a second before we ask you about some specific players. You're talking about a defense last year that was near the bottom of the NFL in red zone D. And you know as well as anybody, you can't be giving up points inside the red zone like that. You give up too many touchdowns, you're going to be in trouble. What is their number one reason to believe that they think that can improve? 
Well, you know, last year was kind of weird. I mean, Eric Weddle brought a, a certain sense of professionalism to this defense, to this football team as a whole, but there was some confusion in the back end, especially when you got to the red zone. So it was the first year that Corey Littleton, who I'm, I, I, I'm sorry to say it's going to be tough to replace him, but it was the first year as a starting middle linebacker that he wasn't calling the plays. So that was a little bit weird. Then you lost John Johnson the third, one of the better strong safeties in the league, and definitely on this football team, and you had some younger guys playing, so uh, some of these these good offenses, or just offenses in general, took advantage of that and really filleted the Rams in the red zone. So that absolutely has to get better. Uh, but look, I mean, to, to be a good red zone defense, you've got to be able to stop the run 100% of the time. You've got to take that away from the offense. So every now and then they were able to chip away and just force the Rams to commit versus the run, then they'll hit you on play action versus man coverage and Boom, it resulted in a touchdown or two. But, uh, look, I think there's going to be a renaissance on defense. Uh, Wade Phillips is out. Uh, You've added some new pieces. Ashawn Robinson is coming in to play the one technique, to be a nose tackle. I think he's better suited for that spot uh, than anywhere he's played in Detroit. So you're going to be better there theoretically. Uh, And you also have the best football player in Aaron Donald playing on the defensive line. So, I think the pride was dinged last year, so there is a renewed sense of hope uh, on this defense and some get-back that needs to be had. So usually when this team loses, they blame the offense, but that's only cover for sometimes the defense lets you down in the red zone. So they understand that. They know that. They're all working to get better with the new face. Well, I'll tell you what. One thing that I do like about the defense, I, I think that the secondary will be good. I mean, you got Jalen Ramsey there. He's done his fine. Um you know, and I think that that group can hold their own. I guess to me, is we talked a little bit about the, the pass rush, and, you know, it's going to have to, you know, you lost Fowler and Clay Matthews. And those are two guys that can get after the quarterback. Um, and I guess they're hoping that, you know, with the guys that you, some of the guys you mentioned, um, can get to that quarterback. You know, that's important. Well, Leonard Floyd is a guy that you, you love the way he looks and you love the way he performs. Uh, some of the time. You, now, you're going to have to turn that on or turn that into an all-the-time thing. And like you said, Dante Fowler is a guy that was an absolute monster. Uh, he was running for a big contract. You could tell it just he, he was on a different level than everyone else. So you have to find some way to replicate that. Uh, if not, you're going to be in trouble. Look, there's only so much Aaron Donald can do. And that's kind of funny to say that because, like you said, he's one of the best players in the game. But uh, if you don't have edge pressure in this league, you don't have much. Uh, if, if, if if Aaron Donald continues to win versus single and double teams, if the quarterback has an escape route, then what good is it? So you're going to have to at least keep guys in the pocket so you can get that interior pressure to him. But I, I think that is going to be what we're going to watch. And, uh, middle linebacker is going to be something we're watching. Edge pressure is going to be something we're watching early to see which guys step up. And we, we mentioned running back, too, to see which guys will, will step to the forefront and become the guy on this football team. Terrell Lewis, the outside linebacker from uh, Alabama, was drafted in the third round. Now, his measurables are impressive. Uh, Obviously, he didn't get all the production that he wanted to get when he was in college, which is why he fell to the third round. He's very intriguing to me, though, DeMarco, and I wonder what kind of plans they have for him. I know it's hard for rookies this year to try to crack the lineup right away. But does he have a shot? Absolutely. Uh, there's going to be a lot of guys in play and in the mix. Uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, Micah Kaiser is a guy that should have played at inside linebacker last year. He got hurt in the preseason, missed all of 2019. So 
he's a guy that they have penciled in as one of the starters. So, but around that, uh, you would say outside of Samson Abukam, who has the most experience of any outside linebacker on the roster, at least in a Rams uniform. Outside of that, it's a bunch of question marks. Uh, it's a bunch of guys that filled in for spot duty, played a little bit, special teams, mavens, but becoming frontline guys or starters or in the rotation, uh, you haven't seen that yet. So there's a lot of question marks at inside and outside linebacker. But I'll tell you this, when you watch the tape at Bama, like you said, the, the physical measurements are there and the athleticism and the explosion is there. You see it, now you have to see it all the time and at this level. Well, you know, we talked a lot about offense, defense. I won't bore everybody with special teams. I won't go there. No, come on, man. That's the most important part of the team. Jeff, Jeff, I tell you what. You, I want you to go to special teams. DeMarco wants to talk about it, but I want to go one more question on defense first because he mentioned Aaron Donald, and how could we get through this entire situation and, and segment without talking more about him because he is clearly one of the most valuable players in the National Football League and has been for a couple of years. DeMarco, you played the position, so you know better than anybody the kind of appreciation that this guy carries around the NFL. Tell us on the East Coast, folks who see him maybe three or four times a year, exactly why on a week-in and week-out basis this guy is so incredibly dominant. I have never seen anything like it. I, I really have. And and this is I, I played with or was in the league with Warren Sapp, with John Randall. Uh, I saw up, up, up close and personal, I saw, uh, you know, the Hall of Famers go at it. But I've never seen anything like this before in my life where you can line up absolutely anywhere. When you can have a defensive tackle that lines up at right end and wins. You put him at left end and he wins. You double him, he still wins. If you mess up and get crazy and you try to single him, he absolutely will hurt your football team. So he's tremendous, he's smart, he's strong, he's humble. He is the absolute, well, he's getting better, but he's the worst interview that you can have uh, have uh, for postgame because he, will, he refuses to talk about himself. Uh, he'll have like six sacks in a game, eight more fumbles, and just absolutely wanted for the Rams, but he wants to talk about somebody else uh, in another locker. He's just that humble of a guy. So, And I remember when they drafted him, there was actually a fight uh, in the front office. They thought he was a change-of-pace defensive tackle. What the heck is a change-of-pace defensive tackle? He's the best guy in the draft. Take the guy. So, yeah, he, he was great at Pitt. He's been great at the league, and I, I don't think he's – really showed any signs of slowing down. So I think what you saw last season and the season before that, you're going to get in 2020. Is it his first step? Is it his quickness laterally? Is it his – I mean, what is it that makes him so good? Aside from everything that you said, is there one intangible there that you just say, he's got this like no other person I've ever seen? Is it a punch? Um, what is it? He's kind of like Reggie White. Um, yeah. You can't fool him. Um, if, if you if you're a starting guard in the National Football League, and you know I don't care who you are, if you show him that you're about to pull, give him any sort of indication as to what you're about to do, you're dead. Even if you fool him, even if he makes a mistake and you get him to take a jab step in the wrong direction, he's strong enough to fight through that block and get back into position to make a play or at least force it back to his nearest defender. But if you give anything away, anything. He's absolutely going to maul you. He's going to be in the backfield. He's going to make a play. So, And he doesn't miss. That's the coolest thing. 
And if he gets hit with a play that he hasn't seen before, the next time it comes around, he beats it. So he, he's a guy that spends hours and hours and hours in the film room and then hours and hours and hours in the gym and on the field getting better. So uh, he's what you want in your quarterbacks, but he's just a defensive tackle. He can absolutely dominate a game from that spot. When you talk about somebody that can dominate a game, and we don't have to talk much about it, but I just want to get your comment on, on Johnny Hecker because the punter for the Rams, um, I got to meet him a few years ago when the Giants played in, after the game, and um, a very respectful guy. I mean, I, he, I cannot believe how big this guy is. I mean, yeah. I, I, was, I, I was just, and I can, I mean, I was just like, oh, are you kidding me? Uh, he's got to be six, six. I don't know what he's lifted up, but he is a, he, a big man, but he is so talented, and then, I know that when John Fossil was there, they used a lot of a lot of fake punts and stuff like that. Which, by the way, if you can effectively run fake punts in the National Football League, you will never ever face a rush as a puncher ever again. Which is <laughs> a nice thing. Tell me a little bit about Johnny and what you've experienced about him, other than running into him and trying to get out of his way by the kicking that during the game. Yeah, he, he's a great pro, and this is funny. Sometimes I use them when I can't see down the field, like if it's a big play. I'm like, "What happened, Johnny? I can't see. I'm only." <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's he's great, though. I mean, he works at it. Uh, he takes it seriously. He's a guy that, you know, sometimes you have a tendency for punters to act like they're not a part of the team or not like they're one of the guys. He is absolutely one of the guys, and he's willing to go down there and, you know, lay the wood if he has to. But, look, he, he can uncork any sort of punt you need at any sort of moment. If it's a game where it's a 3-3 ball game and it's a field position battle and you need a guy to to flip the field time in and time out, he's the guy to do that. If you are uh, if you need your punter to be a short-range guy and to be accurate and put the ball out on the one uh, to keep them backed up, he can do that as well. And like you said, if they call the fake punt, and he's always eager to call that fake punt, I think he had the green light last year. Like, he could run those things without being called. That's how much confidence they had in him. So when you have a guy that's that much of a weapon and that in tune with just football in general, I mean – at various times, and I remember this was going back to when Jeff Fisher was the head coach, the Rams were actually going into New England to play, going into Foxborough. And you know how Belichick is. He doesn't say anything about anybody, but the only guy he mentioned on that roster was Johnny Hecker uh, because of how smart he is and how much of a weapon he is. He can keep you pinned. He can get you out of trouble. He can. There's so many things that he can do. Uh, there's almost nothing he can't do as a punter in the National Football League. You know, obviously I've played a long time and, and been around a lot of punters. He is the most impressive guy I have ever have ever seen. And and just check this out. Up until 2000, and I believe it was 2008 or nine, uh, there wasn't a there was only a handful of punters that ever had um, net averages over 40 yards. 40. Well, Johnny Hecker since 2013. Listen to these net averages, 44, 43, 43, 7, 46, 44, 43, 43. Let me just tell you something. Those numbers right there, the, almost all those were higher than I ever had gross numbers in my, in my playing <laughs> day. So, and, and, and the, the most impressive thing about this is the return yards against him, 152, 152, 104, 190. Those are 16 games, guys. So it just goes to show you how much of a weapon a punter can be on a football team, especially defensive side of it. 
and uh, I'll get off my soapbox now on Johnny Hecker. No, you're right, man. I just love There are guy. no punt returns against the Rams with that guy. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's right. Like, he can absolutely control that guy with his foot and wh- where he places the ball. I'm with you, man. He's amazing. Well, we've established the fact that Fiegels loves Hecker in, in the punting game, but, but, they, <laughs> but they, they took – there's no longer Greg Zerline in there to kick field goals. Now, this guy's been around for almost a decade, DeMarco, and they drafted a kid named Sam Sloman in the seventh round out of Miami, Ohio. Is this rookie going to be the guy, and how much patience are they going to have with him? Well, look, uh, you, you just can't miss kicks, and that's, that, I'm sorry to say that. I mean, everybody makes mistakes in the National Football League at every position, but at place kicker, it just it's magnified. And if... You make a kick in Seattle, I believe it was early in the year, uh, towards the end of the year, you might have made the playoff. So that's how important it is. And towards the end, uh, you know, look, Greg Zerline is a guy that kicked you into the Super Bowl in New Orleans. So no one's going to forget that. But uh, it seemed like every game he would miss a kick or have some trouble. So you kind of knew this was coming down the road. But uh, I, I think whoever, you know, gets the reps and earns the job, they're going to have every confidence in that guy. But you you have to give the coach that sort of confidence in you. Uh, I think they had every confidence in Greg Zerline to kick it from anywhere. The guy had a, you know, he had a cannon. He was good from just about 60. So you had that confidence. But, you know, once you start to miss and, uh, you know, the, the confidence starts to wane, you can feel that. Uh, if the game was coming down to a, a kick where you – you, you had to have it, or uh, you felt like you didn't have confidence in that guy. That might have accelerated your play calling, and you put more guys at risk, and you wound up turning the football over, and you lose it there. So uh, whoever wins that job, uh, it, it's going to be tough. Uh, but whoever wins that job, I'm sure that Sean McVay will have every confidence uh, after preseason going into the regular season. Just real quickly, I want to I want to show one more thing, okay, on oh, my Johnny Hecker. This, and by, by the way, this is by far, this is by far, there will never, ever be a season of punting statistics like this one. In 2016, Johnny Heckard had 98 punts, okay, for a 47.8-yard average, 46-yard net average, and 51 punts inside the 20, and only 152 return yards. There will never, <laughs> in the history of the league, be another season like that punting, I'm telling you. That is unprecedented. That's like Madden stuff right there. I will answer for Johnny Hecker. He'll say, wait until you see me this year. That is former Rams defensive tackle DeMarco Farr, now a radio analyst on the Los Angeles Rams broadcast team. We certainly appreciate his time. Paul Dottino and Jeff Fiegels with you. We will continue with Big Blue Kickoff Live. And, Jeff, a few things that have popped up over the course of the last day or two that I wanted to get your take on. They are clearly Giants-related. For example, ESPN did a, a survey of their writers around the nation talking about the best player on each team in the National Football League, specifically through the past decade. And for the NFC East, the New York Giants selection was one named Eli Manning. Sure. And honorable mention went to wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, for you, is this a difficult choice? Is there somebody else that you would have put as the second choice alternate? No, because I mean I got to start to think, and once I start to think, that means the answer is correct, in my opinion. So, I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but you really would. I mean, Eli, hands down. 
Okay, hands down. The guy obviously played every single game in those, that decade, won a Super Bowl in 2011. Um, let's see. And, then, and, and I guess if you look at pure raw numbers and uh, playmaking ability, Odell is there. Yeah, even though he didn't play 10 years, but he played the years that he did play here, he was pretty effective. Uh, you know, multiple pro bowler, a guy that, uh, you know, and I look, I'm just slowly going down the roster, just positional-wise. I, I can't come up with anybody else. I really can't. Defensive line, I mean, all the guys that rotated in and out of that position for the last 10 years. Um, well, I mean, would, you throw, would you throw Tuck in there? Or, well, that and that's a good question because, mm-hmm. you know, Tuck was with the Giants through 15. So mm-hmm. that was half of the decade. Yeah. So, and yeah. and let's again part of the Super Bowl team in in uh, in '07 oh, and but '07 doesn't count. This is yeah. only the decade. So he was on the Super Bowl team in '11 mm-hmm. and played with the Giants through '15. So I'll be honest with you, I I would give Justin Tuck very strong consideration. Yeah, yeah, but I still don't think he had the impact that Odell did. Um, let's see, linebacking no. Safeties, no. Corners, no. Uh, offensive line, no. Receiver, running back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. That, that was easy. <laughs> okay. Well, I, look, I like to give you easy questions every once in a while. <laughs> well, I think it's not so much an easy question. I think it's an easy answer because it's 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 really obvious. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, like I said from the beginning, if I got I got to start thinking about other people. I, I can't. I can't. If I, I mean, Eli and Odell are the guys that I. To come to the top, right off the top of my head, I'm like, wow, who is better than those guys? There, right. there isn't anybody. All right, so, fair enough. They're good. We we go to uh, another news item, where the other day, apparently, as some of these NFL players are doing independent workouts on their own, and obviously they're trying to do it in the safest fashion as they possibly can, a Jets quarterback, Sam Darnold, uh, was seen on an Instagram post. Uh, doing some warm-up throws with the Giants' Saquon Barkley, among others. In fact, I believe Christian McCaffrey mm-hmm. is also one of the guys uh, who was out there. you got to remember Jordan Palmer, who was an NFL quarterback's tutor, uh, I believe is the guy who may have brought these guys together. So my question to you is, back in the day when you played, and we know there was black-and-white film in those days, uh, <laughs> would, right. would you have ever have had guys from opposing teams holding their own workout sessions. No, no. And let me quick, quick, Jordan Palmer, is that, is that, is that, um, Carson Palmer's brother. That's his brother. That's what I thought. Okay. It is. Um, no, you wouldn't. It it would be taboo to do that. So does this bother you? It doesn't bother me because of the circumstances. I mean, listen, those guys are out in California. They don't want to get on a plane and fly anywhere. Right. So they just are trying to get some real workout. I don't blame them. Um, listen, I, and to go, to go a little bit further, when I was playing, we would get together with punters and kickers uh, in the offseason and work out together. So it's not a big deal. I just think those guys are just trying to get some reps and get ready to play. You know? Who cares? Oh, as, as, I think as long as they're doing it safely and they're yeah. minding all of their modified behaviors, I don't have a problem with it either. Yeah. However, I will say this, and I know that there are many former players who feel this way. Maybe you're in the same group. I do think there is – there is too much friendliness that occurs uh, before and after a ball game. I do believe that back in the day uh, when there was a legitimate feeling of we have to beat you and we can be friends after we leave the stadium, but while we're here in the stadium and on the field, 
uh, I have to beat you, and it's not time to talk about dinner plans or play chess or checkers. Yeah, and that's just the evolution of the game. Um, that's what it's turned out to be. I mean, you go back 30 years ago, everybody hated each other. Uh, in fact, on my team, in, when I was in Philly, the offense hated the defense, and they were all together. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, mean, that's because everybody in Philly is mean. Well, and plus Buddy Ryan, you know, he, he basically he basically told the defense, you do not like anybody on the offense, okay? Um, but that's the way it worked. And as the game has, you know, the – Everything with these guys that grow up now going to camps and going to these showcases and then going to these uh, these great schools and they just they know each other and over the years they just become friends and then when if they're fortunate enough to make it in the league that friendship continues and then they just you know they talk before and after the game and they even talk during the game so it's just it's just a, it's a different time it's a, the generation is has changed so much Paul between you and I. Um, both covering the NFL and playing in the NFL, you and me, things have changed tremendously, and they're just it's just the way it is. It's just, it's a way of life around everything when you talk about it. I mean, I, I, I give you an example because you know I'm playing a lot of golf because you've called me a couple of times and I've been on the golf course. Um, <laughs> but it, it's funny because I belong to a private country club that's been around since the 19, uh, 1910. So, you know, there's so much tradition and culture that goes into these clubs but now there's so many young people that come into the club that everything has changed. And it's the same thing with the, with the league. The league has changed tremendously because of the, the youth, the youth. Well, and it's not just the players. It's also the coaches. Of course. The coaching yeah. staffs have gotten younger, too. Now, maybe that's because guys like you and I have gotten older. But, no, I really think that yeah. they've gotten younger. I mean, Burton Burns, the Giants running backs coach, I believe he may be the only member of the coaching staff that's actually older than me. Yeah, sure. That's scary. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he and he's been, and this is his first call, this is his first pro gig. Yeah, he's sixty-seven years old. <laughs> I mean, I talk about a long time to try to get in the NFL, but he's very well respected, and he's going to be very good for Saquon. Well, he's it. he's nearly three times as old as Saquon Barkley. Wow, that's crazy. When you think about that, it really is. All yeah, right, I mean, twenty-two, forty-four, sixty, sixty-eight. Yeah, yeah. All right, now Adam Shine wrote a column on NFL.com this week, and he wanted to rank the NFL's eight divisions by quarterbacks. So we know that the starting quarterbacks in the NFL, and again, we're going to assume that guys are all coming in and they're healthy. Dak Prescott for Dallas, Daniel Jones for the Giants, Carson Wentz for the Eagles, and Dwayne Haskins for the Redskins. For the purposes of this argument, those are the four guys that he named for the NFC East. In order, his divisions were NFC South with Ryan, Bridgewater, Breeze, and Brady. NFC West with Murray, Goff, Garoppolo, and Wilson. AFC West was third, Locke, Mahomes, Carr, and he said it doesn't matter whether it's Herbert or Taylor with the Chargers. Fourth was the AFC North, Jackson, Burrow, Mayfield, and Big Ben. A fifth was the NFC North with either Foles or Trubisky, Stafford, Rodgers, and Cousins. Sixth was the AFC South, Watson, Rivers, Minshew, and Tannehill. Seventh was the AFC East, Allen, Fitzpatrick, Ortua, Stidham, and Darnold. Now, I'll be honest with you, I would definitely take the NFC East over the AFC East. For the seventh and eighth spot? <laughs> and I think I probably could make an argument, maybe even for the sixth spot, 
ahead of the AFC South. What say you? Mm. I agree with you on the yeah. The South was Minshew. What's the other ones? You got um... AFC South was Watson, Rivers, Minshew, and Tannehill. Now Rivers is near the back end. Minshew, I don't know that he's really proven a whole lot to this point. And Tannehill had a tremendous half a season last year, but his body of work indicates journeyman up until then. Watson, of course, is is very productive. Well, I mean, let's just go down and compare the four from this division to four from that division. So, who would you, who would you, how would you rank the top, the four, one to four in the, in our division? Probably Wentz being number one, right? Or don't you think? Or Dak Prescott? I'm, again, if Wentz is healthy, and that's always part of the equation. But for the purposes of this conversation, we're assuming guys are in and healthy. So I think you would have to go with Wentz. Prescott, uh, uh, Jones, and Haskins, based on their resumes, right? That's fine. Okay, I'll go with that. So let's now let's compare. Let's Although go. I will say, I wouldn't be shocked if Jones winds up long term being the best of the bunch. Ah, well, but for this purpose, yes, this discussion. So who's the number one quarterback in that NFC, that AFC um, in the South? South. It's got to be division. Rivers. It's got to be, be Rivers, Rivers so. based on resume, but based on talent today, okay. you could argue Watson. Okay, so let's put let's I'll tell you what. I'm gonna put Watson above Rivers at this point. Okay. And if I put Rivers I mean I put Watson against Wentz, see where I'm going here? The comparison there, who wins out on that one? I would probably I would probably take I probably would take Watson over Wentz. Okay. So the second what's the number two guy? The number two guy would be Daniel Jones. I mean excuse me, Dak Prescott. And then against the number Rivers. two guy would be Rivers. Who are you taking there? Well, today you'd have to go with Prescott, I believe. Okay. Although then, Rivers has the better resume. But uh, today we would go with that okay. Prescott. And then, of course, then you got Daniel Jones. And then the next guy would be um, Minshew. Ten- I think I think Tannehill probably over Tannehill. Minshew. Yeah, okay, so Tannehill. I I'm, take, I'm taking Jones. I would take Jones, too. I just don't trust Tannehill after seeing his what he did in one year wonder. Um, he did it a good he, – he got himself, you know, got himself paid. And then the third – would be Haskins versus um, Minshew. Minshew. Well, at four, at number four, and I'm so, trading. I'm trading both of those guys if I have either one of them on my team. <laughs> so, for purpose of discussion, I I would take the Giants and put them in the sixth spot above that division. You mean yes. the AFC East? Yes. Yes. Yep. The, the, the NFC no, the East. West. The, the AFC. Let's get this right, Jeff. South. The AFC South. You would yeah. flop them down to eight I and would. put the NFC East at number six. Yeah, that's what I would. And I and I don't have a problem with that. Like yeah. I said, I I could see the argument to be made, and if someone wanted to fight me on it, I I probably would would give a little ground. Maybe. Well, I think but, the people where they would fight you was would probably would be Philip Rivers. Where would Philip Rivers fall into the one or two spot? Well, no. his resume is very productive. Okay, he hasn't won anything as far as postseason is concerned, but we've all talked about how quarterbacks are always getting too much praise and too much blame, and postseason is not always on their shoulders. But yeah. regular season stats, I mean, Phillip Rivers, look, he's going to wind up joining Ben and Eli in the Hall of Fame out of that class. I, I, think, I think it's going to happen because his numbers, by the time he's done, will warrant that. But in terms of being great, well, when you define great, and that's not what this question is about, you also have to consider how did the guys do in the biggest games of their lives. Ben won Super Bowls, as did Eli. Yeah. So, yep. in yep. any event, 
interesting conversation, well, you know, funny. some of these things. It's actually funny because even the writers are starting to come up with stuff now that they're just, they would never do this anyways. <laughs> and they're running out of things to do, too. Well, they are. They are. So uh, we've got some other NFL items, though, I did want to talk about with you, Jeff. And one of them we kind of touched on yesterday or the day before. The, the days are all bleeding together. I guess we talked two days ago. And this one is about uh, the NFL is considering expanding the practice squads to up to 16 players. Now, we talked about this in that what if you get a guy who tests positive for the virus and now you're going to have to wind up inserting somebody onto your active roster? Well, they were hoping for this year to expand the practice squad list from 10, which we know has been the case, to 12. That's That was the talk that uh, the league had proposed and now they're saying internally, according to NFL.com, I guess Judy Batista and Mike Garofolo of NFL Network have reported that sources are saying they may go up to as many as 16 practice squad players per team. Now, Jeff, it seems to me, uh, as you mentioned the other day, and I, and I gave some thought to this after the show, because I do, I do spend time on our programs, you know, <laughs> that, that if you're not going to isolate some of those practice squad players what good have you really done? Because if they're in the room with guys who test positive, then they're in the same boat. You really have to keep those guys separate as much as you can unless they're on the field itself. But everywhere else, you've got to keep them separate. There's no way to keep them separate off the field. They're just No team will be able to do that. Well, then how are you going to guarantee that I, those guys I, are available okay, to you? I, I got an idea. Okay. I got an idea. Um, and we kind of touched on it the other day. I believe that you're going to have to have two sets of circumstances here. I think you're going to you're going to have your your team, your 53 guys or 55 guys, whatever the number it went up to. And what's going to happen is the other guys are going to have to be quarantined away from the building. They're they're going to have their own area. Um, so you, we're going to go back to the theory of the XFL's team nine. Where these well, guys are going to practice away from the facility no, somewhere no, on their own. No, no, They're, they will practice with the team, Paul. They will. Well, listen, this is just an idea. They will practice with the team, but they are not going to be in the meetings with them. They're not going to be in the team meetings. They're not going to be in the weight room. They're not going to be. They're not going to be mingling with them at all. They're just going to practice. They'll zoom in for meetings. They, they'll be in no, the no, 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 no. They will drive in for meetings. Don't say zoom because people will think that's the screen. <laughs> well, that's what I'm. They will. Well, what I'm saying they're, they're going to come. To, let's just picture the the, the facility. Okay, Commissioner Feagles has yes. the plan. The, <laughs> let's just picture the Giants facility. For people that don't know about the Giants facility, there's a huge indoor practice facility over there with tons of space um, that they could do. You know what? Okay, let's just figure this out. We got to find a place for these for these players to go, and be in an area where they can all be on their computers and watch. They're going to have meetings with the team, but they're not going to be in the building. They're not going to be in the building. They're going to be away from the team. They're going to practice, but as soon as practice is over, the 55 guys go back into the Giants facility, and the practice squad guys, the 16 of them, if they are, they're going to go somewhere else, and they're going to watch film after after work when you said it the other day paul the guys after after school after after they're done with the practice there's not going to be any meetings inside the building anymore everyone's going to go home and there's going to be evening meetings you know mm-hmm. that they just everybody's going to be able to go in and have zoom meetings the team meeting in the morning the breakout meetings all that stuff can still be done on on zoom 
they're just going to have to they're just going to have to take the chance of things happening on the field and they're going to have to test 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 constantly test but the premise behind this conversation is to keep those 16 guys separate somehow some way the best you can in case you have to elevate and they got to they got to come on board and then you bring the other guys in and you know if, if three guys go off the practice squad onto the to the regular squad then you got to bring three street guys in the good thing about the 16 players think about this that's four extra now i'm talking about from a union's perspective that's 128 players more you can have on rosters four times 32 is 128 that's where i'm getting that number that's good for that so i don't think the nflpa is going to have a problem with the union having 128 more players on on rosters sure um, more jobs, more jobs. Absolutely. I think the biggest thing is going to be, you're going to have to find ways to do things outside the box that you're uncomfortable with, that everybody's going to do, be doing the same thing. Now, here's another good thing about those extra four players. You'll be able to, you'll be able to stash some of your, you know, even the practice squad, this is what you do. You stash some of your undrafted free agents, right? That, that you want to have develop. Well, you got a, a chance for four extra guys that you might have signed off the street that now have a chance to be on the team and develop into something that maybe they would have never made before. Well, see, what I wonder, and again, these these rules are going to have to be adapted on the fly. You know as it is now, Jeff, it's always been you set your final roster, you have to waive everybody else, and then the following day you bring guys back on the practice squad. Yeah. Well, I wonder if the league is going to maintain those same rules this year understanding that teams are going to have more value in their practice squad guys because they really are using them almost as emergency virus players. Do you think that they will force? Because it's almost self-defeating the purpose, isn't it? Because here's part of the reason why you would want to activate a practice squad player in case of a positive test result for the virus is because that guy was with you and he's familiar with what you're doing and he's going to be able to quickly step into the lineup and give you something. Well, if you're going to tell all these teams that at the final cutdown day, you've got to slice everybody again and then have them clear through waivers, you may have teams that grab guys, and now there's no familiarity because they're bouncing around and going to other teams. Doesn't that defeat the purpose of, of having those guys coached up to be ready in case there's a virus? I, absolutely, I think it's a double-edged sword here. I mean, you gotta you gotta find a way to be able to keep those people. But I mean, I would think the league would want they would try to encourage teams to be able to keep their practice squad guys for this very reason because of potential virus uh, uh, disqualifications, if you will. I would think they would want those practice squad guys to stay with their teams. Well, so, so would they would they maybe adjust the rules? Well, I'm going to say so. Maybe maybe they come out with a rule that says then this year in COVID nineteen season, um, this year that when we do the final cutdown, the day we do our final cutdown, you get to pick your sixteen practice squad players, and then those are your guys, right? Maybe I mean, ra- rather than have to release everybody. Off from 90 down to 53, all those guys get released, and then there's, like you said, then there's a, a, a re, there's a re-amping up of the practice squad again, which usually involves two or three players from other teams that come in to make the Giants practice squad. Now the negative to that, though, is Jeff. Now, now you'll have players who will say, "Well, we really thought we could make somebody else's 53, and we don't That's care. Right. We don't care about the lack of continuity." We wanted to get on a 53. We didn't want to go on a practice squad. 
is does that become a problem? It does because it becomes a free it becomes a free agency problem. Yeah. Um, and that goes against a lot of the stuff that's in you know on paper is not not right. So um, it's tricky. It's yeah. tricky. It's like what I, the, what do you do in principle as opposed to what do you do for realistic purposes that actually make the game better? Well, here's the other thing too. Let's just hypothetically let's just play this game here. I got my I've got my practice squad ready to go. I've got three guys that I want to get. One's from Arizona, one's from Baltimore, the other guy's from the Patriots. I want to bring those guys in and put them on my practice squad. I want to sign them. Okay, I, here's a couple things I need to do. I got to test them, right? Or they've been being tested. I mean, every team's going to be testing these guys regardless. So, um, am I able to get through HIPAA? Am I able to get reports if that guy ever had it or not? Um, you know what I'm saying? So now I got to bring a guy in. Um, what if he's infected? So now what? I've, I've ruined my. I've, I've got a. I've got a guy that's tarnished here. He's sick. You know. Now I got to put him out for two weeks when I was going to hopefully keep those two weeks for him to learn the system that I was going to bring because he doesn't know my system. You know, and it's a lot of. There's a lot of things to 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 be worked out here. A lot of things. And to think you know about. what, Jeff? I and think run out of time. Many of them are going to be worked out on the fly. Well, I really no believe question. that. And I, I feel like that this this off season COVID nineteen off season is coming is coming to an end. All the teams are pretty much finishing up. And I think there's gonna be rather than all this vacation time that normally comes through norm normality of the league, there's gonna be a lot of think tanks. There's gonna be a lot of people down at the NFL offices not working they're gonna be working this summer trying to figure this stuff out. And um you know they still have a lot to figure out at the facility or the Giants, period. You know, about returning and, you know, we, we read that that huge memo that they put out, the NFL did, about those tiers, tier one, tier two, tier three, which I believe we were in tier three, right? Was that what it was? In-house media was tier three. Yeah, we're tier three, so who knows when that is. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like a, a long ways away, tier three. <laughs> I feel like I'm in the mall and I have to go, like, I got to go away to the way the other side of tier three mall, which is really far. All right, I got one more thing for you, Jeff, yeah. and it is somewhat uh, COVID-related, and that is uh, there continue to be apparently conversations with the uh, scientific folks who are trying to figure out the possibility of modified face masks. Oh, I did see this for yeah. the players, and you know uh, there have been a lot of different, I guess, artists' renderings. I've seen a couple of them online, and obviously we can't show them to you here because we're an audio-only program. But as a player, how much, look, you know if you want to play, you're going to have to deal with it. But how much of an adjustment or how much of an imposition do you think it might be for some guys? Oh, tremendous. And listen, just I'm just taking my own position. I mean, I can't imagine punting with that stupid thing, that kind of a helmet on. I mean, I mean. Well, now, but, no, don't call it stupid, Jeff, yeah. because it's a health, it's a health issue. I understand issue. that. It's just, it's just crazy that we're, we're at this point. But, okay, I won't call it stupid. I mean, it kind of um, looks like a Darth Vader mask, yeah, right? it does. It looks like the Fox uh, the Fox robot that comes on there. Okay. What's that guy's name? Um, Cletus. I, is Cletus. He, oh, he has a name. I didn't realize that. Name. I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah, the robot's name is Cletus. Okay. Um, here's the other thing. Uh, there's some guys that just, uh, you know, <laughs> 330 pound guys. You got to breathe, man. You got to breathe, right? That's going to be hard to breathe in those things, I would imagine. 
Um, but it's just, just like anything, it's going to take getting used to. And if you have to wear it, you got to wear it. Either that or don't play. Yeah, I, I mean, there's really not going to be a choice because be there, a choice. there are going to be medical specs that everybody is going to have to comply to or you're just not going to be allowed to be there. It's just that simple. I mean, when you really look at this, uh, obviously there's a big sacrifice on everybody's um, plate here. But I think when you look at the training staff and the facility managers and the people that are doing all this stuff, all the extra that they have to do to make this happen is is quite the the hill to climb you know you've got to look guys guys like ronnie barnes the the head trainer for the giants and his staff um he's gonna they're probably gonna have to hire more people i mean to, to be able to you know this, the facility has to be cleaned like sometimes twice a day wow mm-hmm. a lot of work a lot of work all right, let's get to some of the Twitter questions. Again, you can always hit us up. He is yeah. at Jay Fiegels. I am at Giants WFAN, or you go to hashtag Giants chat. Uh, Alex Wilson, ESM, uh, asks the question, will the New York Giants move on from Golden Tate after the 2020 season? Tate, a veteran free agent who's got quite a number of years logged in the National Football League and certainly proved last year that he's got a lot left, but he's asking about after this season. What do you think? Oh, I don't like questions like this because it's, I mean, what, what, what if, what if all of a sudden he has a Pro Bowl season? <laughs> well, know? I mean, he's, he's going into this season. He'll be 32 years old, but last year averaged nearly 14 yards a catch, which by the way, I, I really should mention this because this is a guy who's been in the league now for what, a good 10 years. Uh, that is the second highest average yards per catch of his career. Yeah, so it missed, doesn't look four. like yeah. It, so it doesn't look like he's slowing down. And he missed five games. He he played in eleven games last year, um, and that's pretty good. I don't. I listen. I I feel like the Giants always do, as far as when it comes down to money, and they put a price on players. If your production is still there, they don't care. Then they they, they don't care how much money you're making. You'll be fine. So I would say that with this new Jason Garrett offense and the way that they can get him the football and space, let him make some plays, and he does fine, he'll be back. He'll his, definitely be back. His contract does run through the 2022 season, Okay, just so, as an FYI. And I don't know what it is in 21, what it, what is it, how much he goes up from. I know I know he was $30 million guaranteed when he signed his contract. Well, we, we don't usually delve into a lot of the number breakdowns yeah. because, quite frankly, nobody has the official numbers. We have numbers that are reported on the Internet – and teams can always jimmy with those numbers, as you know. Sure. Uh, sure. Which, which you know, we don't necessarily see. But, you know, the Giants would have to certainly take into account before they decide what they do with any player, well, uh, what his what his contract numbers indicate and what the benefits are uh, economically besides what the performance is and the health of the player. Well, let's talk about economically, okay? We're anticipating that this, this football season is, off, is going to be altered. If that's the case, and there, what happens if there is no no, you know, fans in the seats and all this stuff that kind of can come down to Pike, there could be a problem with the salary cap next year. And if the salary cap goes down next year, some of these guys making a lot of money might just be, you know, cap casualties. Well, in Tate's in Tate's situation, if the reported numbers, uh, for example, on over the cap are correct, uh, the twenty twenty one season would be the first season where the cap savings would actually outweigh his dead money. So take that into account and chew on it, and we'll go on to the next question. (laughs) 
what else can I say? I mean, that's just the yeah. way it is. I, and I do think his performance this year would weigh heavily in any decision that they make, for sure. sure. All right, Fireside Giants says the Giants did not have a single player selected to the Pro Bowl uh, after the 2019 season. Will they after this season, and who would it be? Um, I'm going to say that it's going to be Saquon. Okay. Um, on offense. And on defense, man, oh, man, oh, man. That's a good question, by the way, and I'm hoping that somebody steps up. Um, you know where I'm going to go out on a limb and tell you? I think Dexter Lawrence might make it this year. I think he's going to have a big year for some reason. I don't know why. Well, you know, the problem with defensive linemen, unless they're a big sack guy, they don't usually get the kind of ink you need to go to the Pro Bowl. And and it's such a popularity contest with everybody. Um, You know, I mean, hey, listen. Is it possible maybe that Jabril Peppers takes a big step forward? Yeah, if he can stay healthy, you know. I mean, I think that's, uh, yeah, I think that's possible. That's possible. Um, but I, I, I think Saquon would be my, my guy that I would have to say for sure. I mean, not that he's going to do it, but that he would be the one guy that, and, and you know what? Hey, can Daniel Jones step in and, you know, maybe he throws for, I mean, our numbers that we were trying to over under were right around 4,000 yards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, can he, what happens if he throws for 5,000 yards? Who knows? Okay. If he does that, then maybe one of those <laughs> wide receivers on the other side is going to be going to the Pro Bowl too. <laughs> We have another one from at Sensalu says we hear we hear a lot about the quarterback having to adjust to new language when a new coach comes in. How big an adjustment is it overall? Now we've spent a lot of time talking about the adjustments, but I, I'm I'm not sure if he means the whole team's adjustment or the quarterback having to deal with all the different parts of the new playbook. I'm not sure exactly where I, let's his go question with the ladder. Let's go with the latter. Okay. Um, remember this. Football is football. You take the snap, you hand it off. You take the snap, you throw it. Um, what's different about every team is language. Uh, one route may not be called the same route in one system as another. But the bottom line is they're all pretty similar, right? You have route trees. One through nine is the route tree combination. Um, a nine is a go route. Most of most offenses are, are set around that nine number being consistent. It's mm-hmm. the bomb, you know, the post, the skinny post, the, the out, the out and up. These are all different uh, numbers. Then you have blocking schemes that are changed. That's probably the biggest thing is how teams are zone blocking, man blocking schemes, uh, shotgun under the center, all kinds of different terminologies. For the quarterback, it's all about terminology and being able to mix and match what you've learned before and now you're learning new terminology a lot of systems are very similar but they're called things differently and for somebody that maybe have a problem like me with names and things like that it would be terrible (laughs) okay i'll buy that that's why i listen that's why i just stuck with punting i didn't have to know anything i didn't have to know a play i didn't have to listen to anything i just ran on the field kicked it and ran off i mean that's what you do that's that's the easy part. Okay, final question. It comes from Dwayne. He hits us up uh, through the Giants mailbag. Nice. He says, several years ago, the Patriots had a struggling secondary. The solution they employed was to match up their number one corner in man coverage with the opponent's number two wide receiver. 
the opponent's number one wide receiver was bracketed by the Pats' number two corner and a safety. Mm-hmm. Would this be a viable option for the Giants? Now, before you answer that question, Jeff, let me make something clear. That was not a new concept. In fact, uh, I remember when Deion Sanders, for example, was uh, was with the um, with the Dallas Cowboys. They would put him on John Taylor, and they would double Jerry Rice on the other side. Mm-hmm. So th- that's not a new concept at all. It's something that does predate Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Yeah, I, I, I think that I think that it, it can work well. I think if you're number one guy and you have confidence in him and he's going to travel, then do it. If not, then that, it's a good concept. I, and again, I think that'll change every week with the with the Patri- I mean, what the uh, the Patriots did, and also with the Giants, if they're going to be a multiple scheme defense, and they will they will have to adjust to those types of receivers and not every week. I mean, not every week somebody has a, you know, an Antonio Brown in the lineup or an Odell Beckham. So. No, it makes, makes, makes a lot of sense. You, again, it's all about matching up week that's to right. week, how you feel you can defeat your opponent. And maybe in some situations, that's a good strategy in others. Maybe not. That's right. That's right. Man, it's about varying your scheme. Jeff, it's been fun. Uh, another show in the books. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay, Paul, thank you, and thank you, everybody, for listening and calling in. Or they know calls in, but everything on Twitter, we really appreciate it. <laughs> you can hit him up at Jay Fiegels. I am at Giants WFAN. You can always go to hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter or go to the Giants mailbag at Giants.com slash podcasts slash BBK questions. For Jeff Eagles, and oh yeah, we got to thank DeMarco Farr from the Rams radio crew for joining us today. I'm Paul Dottino. We'll catch you next time.